Overlooking Phoenix from high above in the Star Worldwide Network Studios. Badge Boys. Stories, insight, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Brought to you by OfficerPrivacy.com, the company's officers trust with their online privacy. And now, here they are, the Badge Boys. Welcome back to another edition of the Badge Boys, the show where two retired cops talk to the community. I'm retired Crime Stopper Sergeant Darren Birch. I'm retired Phoenix Police Officer Jason Schechterly. And we have a really great show. We have Kaylee Kozak, founder and president of because you still matter a nonprofit organization as an adult survivor of childhood sexual abuse she learned that the predator who stole her childhood her innocence was about to get off probation and would be able to contact her well <laughs> she took action she and a senator drafted senate bill 1412 as a bill that became law Kaylee's law and now she's here to talk about what that law is this is amazing young woman who has done amazing things uh, she's more than a survivor she's a trailblazer and we're going to be talking to her about this law and hopefully this law will go across the nation and then our second segment we're going to talk about some headlines uh, then the last segment we're going to have some more loony laws heroic headlines and Jason's always inspirational closing message so stay tuned stay informed and most of all you're going to be entertained more stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Badge Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books. Starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria police cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to a hundred compelling and funny true crime stories that American detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's twisted but true books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back, everybody. Uh, Jason, we've talked about this. If I had a professional tombstone, it would be sex crimes detective. It's, it's kind of like where my passion is. Yes. Uh, I spent the book of my career there uh, I'm very passionate because it's definitely not perfect our judicial system uh, 
law enforcement, uh, even the great family advocacy centers. You know, we can always, always improve. But it's really, God, it's so inspiring when someone who's been victimized has become a survivor and then refuses to be victimized again, either by the predator or the system, comes forward and actually helped create law, Kaylee's Law. I love this young lady. I love what she's done. I love how she's helping so many people that she doesn't even know yet, you know, in the world based on what she's doing. Uh, it's very powerful. Um, have you heard of Kaylee's Law? I have. And, you know, the power of this, you know, from obviously your experiences that deeply impacted you and your career. And the three years I spent in homicide, I, I started to recognize it was so easy just to use the word victim and it would get glossed over. There's uh, it's a there's title. So, yeah, it is. There's so many victims out there, and you can you can be a name on a paper. You can have police reports and have the. You can be a victim. You can be a witness. You can be a suspect. Until you hear the voice of one of these people. Until you hear the power of somebody taking. As I say in my speeches, when you take your adversity and spin it 180 degrees to shine something beautiful on the world that it's it's immeasurable and it's rare so i am so excited about you <laughs> you never cease to amaze me with every week i'm like wow. i'm like wow that was a great guest and then the next week comes and i'm like well shit that was the best guest we ever had <laughs> so i'm super excited to have met kaylee uh, a few minutes ago and now to hear her words and her voice because that is where change happens it, it is and she has already made significant change it's not just the senate bill that she helped draft with this senator but it became law just last summer so without further ado i want to thank you kaylee for being on our show but more importantly thank you for what you're doing with kaylee's law well thank you for having me on today i'm really excited to be here so Let's start from the beginning, and I hate starting at the crime, but you know, so that people can understand uh, the, the the gravity of the situation. You're a young girl. Uh, you're absolutely been victimized. You're not a victim no more. Um, but you were truly victimized to the point where your innocence was taken away as a young girl, and and that as a father, um, as fathers in this room of a girls, it just breaks our hearts as well as wants us to grab a mallet and beat the hell out of somebody, <laughs> quite frankly. So please tell us your journey as, as much as you want to. Yeah, so um, I was a I was victimized my sixth and seventh grade year of, of middle school. So those are very vulnerable years yes. anyways. Um, and I was groomed. And I think that there is not enough emphasis on grooming right now. There's such a stigma with sexual abuse and rape. I think people often think that it's um, like being kidnapped and held at gunpoint and raped by a stranger. No, that's not what sexual abuse is. And we're not talking about the more common things that are happening every day in our world. And those are the things that we need to be more focused on. Not to say that, um, you know, assault and abuse and, and even rape, it, it does happen at the hands of a stranger, but that's not the most common thing. It's the least common. Yes. And so actually 93% of victims know their perpetrator. 93%. That is a huge number. Um, and so I was um, groomed 
for and sexually abused for two years. Like I said, my sixth and seventh grade year. And honestly, the only reason the abuse stopped was because I switched schools and I switched soccer teams. There was no more opportunity for the abuse to continue. There was there was no way it could happen. And um, when I turned my abuser in, I did not. I was so groomed. He had me so convinced that this was different. He loved me. He cared about me. That I was a woman trapped in a child's body. I was wise beyond my years. I was I was more mature and insidious. Um, yeah, and and so when I realized that something wasn't right, and I went to talk to someone. I did not think I was turning my abuser in. I thought I was just going to talk to someone and get gain some insight on, well, this didn't seem right. Maybe it wasn't. Um, and so I think a lot of victims also go through that too, especially when it's someone that they know. And even if it's a family member, they don't realize that they are actually being abused and that they are victims of abuse. And, and you know, when it's adults and, and young children, how can you expect a child to understand? So when you talk about, uh, for people who might not understand, when you say the word groomed, clearly that's by an adult because you were in sixth and seventh grade. So another sixth and seventh grader doesn't have the, their mind is not in that place either. They can't really do that. So you're talking about an adult, correct? Yes. And so when you talk about being groomed, what within that, it's easy to say, oh, you're a woman trapped in a child's body. Maybe you developed earlier than others. You were very pretty in the eyes of the predator. Mm -hmm. When you look back and know that you were groomed and how it affected you, what are the mechanisms that are used to groom somebody? So they actually say there's six steps. And the first one is targeting the victim. I was a perfect target. I moved across country. I knew no one. I was vulnerable sixth grade girl. Um, I was also very passionate about soccer and he was a club soccer coach who invited me into that specific soccer club. Um, the second step is gaining the victim's trust. He kind of took me under his wing and, um, you know, really encouraged me with soccer, Mentor. Mm -hmm. um, filling a need. I didn't know anybody. I, I wanted to go further in soccer, you know, so kind of stuff. You want to make there. your coach happy. Yes. Yeah. And, and I, and middle school is hard. And then to move across country and not know anybody. I mean, that's really hard. Um, the fourth stage is isolating the child. He found ways to do that at school. And as a parent, he had that power, yeah, had when, that authority. Yep. When you send your child to school, you don't think, Oh, my child's going to get molested at school today. Like, and my mom worked there. My mom was oh his coworker. God. Um, Stage five is sexualizing the relationship. It starts. And they you know, go slowly, don't yes, they? Yes, with words. Um, and, and that looks different for everybody. And then maintaining control. And he did until he couldn't. Like I said, it ended because there was no opportunity. And when you talk about the percentage of how many girls are know their predator, you know, it's a friend of the family, it's a, it's, you know, a co worker of your mother. Um, these are the ones are reported. Yep. Many are not reported. Like you said, you know, when I was in uh, sex crimes, we'd have the um, a show on TV that would show, you know, these these insidious grooming techniques. And then all of a sudden, these young girls would go, oh, my God, that's Uncle Henry. Yep. And then we all suddenly our phones would ring off the hook. And it's a shame that it takes something like that to get them report. But you did. Mm -hmm. And he went to prison. Can you tell us about that journey? He went to jail. He never went to oh prison. Oh, my God. Oh. 
So yeah, he, uh, my parents took a plea deal, which I'm very grateful for. Okay. Um, they did not want to put me through a trial and I, I'm so grateful that they made the decisions that they did. They okay. wanted to spare me that trauma. And there's a lot of trauma, um, you know, that comes after. And I always tell this because it's so, it just really goes to tell what victims truly deal with. When I turned him in and he was arrested, obviously it was, you know, all over the news and things we have, we're talking about a position of trust and that was just a new thing at the at time. A school. Yeah. So we have a teacher and a club soccer coach. So always around young girls and, um, Soccer, again, soccer was my life. Like at the time, I, I can't stress that enough that I lived for soccer. And so the week that he was arrested, we had a soccer tournament down in Tucson and we showed up and almost the entire club was wearing shirts that said, we support our coach. Oh God. Jesus. And my parents asked me if I wanted to leave, but I didn't, I just wanted to play soccer. That's all I want. That was my escape as you know, that that's where I wanted to be was on the field playing the game that I love. And that shows the fact that they would be so fooled by him shows the insidious nature and the intelligent nature the of a predator was? of a predator. So they didn't, they didn't know it was me. There might've been some ideas. I'm going to tell you, they might as well have said my name on the news. They said what schools I attended or was currently attending, um, what soccer club, you know, I mean, they might as well. It was horrible. Um, so I mean, it, it, and sadly that's not unusual these predators are so good at what they do they have people convinced that they're a good guy and oh my gosh poor him it couldn't be him how many times have we seen that jason where we see someone who goes to prison like a detective for child crimes um, pornography and he's the last person you would expect because yeah. they're so good at this alternate persona definition of narcissist please continue thank you so yeah, I mean, I, I, my parent, my mom specifically has asked me, can't you see why we almost struggled with not, it wasn't that we didn't believe you, but that we had a hard time believing it was him. Well, you can't ask me that. That's not a fair question. <laughs> um, but those are the guys you have to look out for. And I say this and people either get it or they think what, what's wrong with her. Sex offenders are smart human beings. Oh. They know what they're doing. Manipulation. We don't give them enough credit they get better and better with each victim yep. yes. they learn i am curious about one thing though because if this happened to you i'm sure that there were other victims that were there as well and that happens many times when one person it's almost like the hashtag me too movement when one person says something all saying others feel safe did that happen to you per many many polygraphs i was his only victim wow so if we, if we want to go into this, um, and this will actually be the first time I'm publicly speaking about this, uh, in August, he had a magazine article published by a, um, I guess it was a criminal defense attorney, and he writes about his story in there and um, how he's, uh, you know, worked through his things with God, and that's between him and God. I can't, that's, that's not me, and I haven't read the article. I don't need to read that. I don't need that. Good for you. Um, but he writes in there, and this, I'm not quoting this, just going off of what the conversations I've had with my husband, that he was in a really bad place in his time and just felt, or his life, sorry, and felt really unfulfilled and his marriage was in shambles, which is comical to me. He hadn't even been married a year. Um, and through the trial, the, well, I guess not the trial, through the process at the time in 2006 and 2007, we learned he was having multiple affairs with soccer moms. So he writes in this article that 
um, it wasn't filling the void. And that's why he pursued me. And it's funny how these predators, like Michael Jackson, perfect example of these predators, that you know truly are masters at grooming and are able to get the entire nation fooled. And this man, to your point, being a narcissist, can absolutely beat a polygraph. Because if you don't have any remorse for your actions, the polygraph's not going to pick that up. Yeah. And so we're talking about a predator who is still not taking full responsibility for his acts. It's always poor me, poor me, poor me. And that's why what you're doing with Kaylee Lee's law is so important because he's going to offend again. So please tell us about Kaylee's law and how that occurred because I kind of know about the phone call and I can't even imagine that day for you. Yeah, so to touch on to the, just the whole system and everything right now, it's so ass backward. Like that's the, I don't even know what else to say. Like it's so bad. Um, we opted in for victims' rights when I when when all this closed. My parents opted in, and I actually have it right here, the mailed paper. Like, look at crime, crime victim handbook from 2006. Like, we opted in. I never received any information. Nothing. Not where he was living. Um, I mean, I was notified when he was released from jail, um, but I never got any information. And so. At some point, I mean, life goes on. Life doesn't stop. And in January of 2020, my mom called me. And I talked to my mom 100 times a day. But I just knew something. Like, I saw it was her. And my heart kind of dropped. I knew something was wrong. And she said, hey, the adult probation department is trying to get a hold of you. And this is how you have to understand how caught off guard I was. My first thought was, did I have jury duty and I forgot to go? But like, seriously, that is, that's, that is how this just came out you of have left moved field. Forward. You're now a mom of well, how yeah. many real, five. And so your mind does yeah. go to yeah, some because to, funny places. To kind of get the audience caught up, you're a mother of how many at this point? Five. <laughs> you're a mother of five. You're happily married. Life has moved forward. Yeah. You're a survivor. And you're thinking jury duty. And then what happened? Yeah, I'm like, it's been 14 years. And I never heard, what do you mean the adult probation department is looking for me? And she said, well, I'm assuming it's about him. And I said, um, okay, I don't, I, what do you even say? And she said, can I give her your number? And I said, no, not till you find out why she, they want to talk to me. Um, and so then she had called her back and said, well, he's trying to get off his probation. And at that point you are, I, you can't even process what you're hearing. It's too much. And so, um, I never actually spoke to his probation officer that night. The next morning I talked to her and she was talking to me as if I was a coworker. I could just envision her holding all her charts, <clears throat> walking with heels. I could hear him in the background and she's like, oh, this is so-and-so with adult probation. I'm just calling to let you know that um, he motioned for early termination of his two terms of lifetime probation that mind you, he asked for, he specifically asked deal. for the lifetime probation in lieu of extended prison time. And she said, you know, he's been really good and he just wants to spend time with his kids. And I was like, oh my God, like, stop talking, stop, stop talking. And she said, I see you've never been contacted. And I said, I haven't. So can we just slow down for a second? And I said, how can he get off pro? I don't understand. Like, I didn't even know what to, I was lifetime, so Lifetime probation back. means just that you would Lifetime. <laughs> yeah. We'll get to that. So um, just to fast forward a little bit, you know, it was a lot to process. I'm asking questions. I'm only, mind you, I'm only talking to his probation officer. I don't know who else to talk to. Like, I have no one. That's wow. who contacted me. 
And I had emailed her and said, hey, can I get a restraining order? She said, of course you can. Okay. I don't know. I, I, I mean, I don't, I don't know what else to do. And so then I get an email, uh, I think it was less than a day later, saying, well, actually, you can't get a restraining order. They don't allow that. And I said, then what kind of protection do I have? And she said, well, I don't really know. So mind you, I open up this file my parents kept for me that has everything in it, right? So I start doing my own research. Good for you. And I see on there, like I said, he asked for two terms of lifetime probation, and uh, or he asked for lifetime probation, like I said, in lieu, but he had two terms. And that's part of a plea deal. Yep, that's his plea deal. Yeah. And uh, I... I, I didn't understand how, how could, he could even ask to get off. Like, how, 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 how's this happening? And so, small world stuff. My mom's coworker's sister is a sex crimes detective in Buckeye, Detective Skaggs. So, I start talking with her, and then my husband and I start doing some investigating. We can't find him on the public registry. So, we're thinking at that point, well, he's not even, he's not even registering. So, he's got to be doomed before this even starts. So, I tell Detective Skaggs, He's not coming up on the registry. And she's like, well, we can see him on our end, but he's not coming up for me. That's a problem. He agreed to register publicly. Thank and you. that was part of why Thank my you. parents took that plea deal. So we learned through the process, level one sex offenders are not on the registry in the state of Arizona. What the actual fuck? Like, why? Why are level? What? What? And, and understand, too, had he not accepted a plea deal, he wouldn't have been a level one. So why are we dropping down to that? I'm going to tell you why. Because we have attorneys, these, these defense attorneys, who are saying, take this plea deal, go down to level one. It's lesser. So your next door neighbors, <laughs> your next door neighbors could be a level one sex offender and you, can't, you don't even know. So under, understand this. Right now, public urination falls under level one sex offender because of um, public exposure and all those things. It's, very, it's a very complex thing, but it needs to change. And, and I know it, it will change. I'm, mark my words, this will change. Level one sex offenders who are on for public urination should not be in the same just area, realm, whatever, as a child sex offender, a teacher who sexually abused a child. Why are they in the same category? And can I kind of break in just for a yeah. second so I can kind of educate the audience when, what she's referring to is when somebody is urinating in public, that's a charge. That doesn't mean what the person did. In other words, a person could have absolutely been in front of the school, could have showed their genitals, could have absolutely did the sexual conduct with a minor, could have done those things, but in the plea deal, they will then take that charge, turn it into public indecency, and then that's what we're talking about. This is somebody who, based on what he did, not based on the charge, based on the plea, and that's to the heart of what you're talking yeah. about. Yep. Please continue. So um, that's, you know, my dad said, well, had I known that, we wouldn't have taken that plea. But you don't know that because no one tells you because People are half-assing their jobs. That's what's happening. It's about winning. There's no accountability. There's no, we're going to be transparent with what's going on. It's a joke. And I'm, I'm not having it anymore. This has to change. And so I, I learned all these things. And, and the big thing here with Kaylee's Law is I learned that if and when a perpetrator's probation is lifted, a victim is left with no protection. And my question is... So you're telling me that you're going to give this perpetrator the opportunity. And let's start on the small scale. Let's just say someone's feeling remorseful and they want to send a message on Facebook two years after their probation is lifted. You don't get to fucking do that. You don't Thank get to you. reinsert yourself in a victim's life because you want to, because you're feeling remorseful for the choices that you made when you were an adult and they were a child. You don't get to do that. Good for you. And then you go on the 
like the extreme side and you have people stalking or showing up and then as a victim you have to go through no this is wrong this is so wrong it's, it's a no-brainer wrong yes it's a no-brainer wrong so i can only imagine the frustration and the anger that you having been victimized by this piece of shit knowing he groomed you knowing it was insidious knowing how he fooled so many people and to your point to the lowest end it may be part of their 12-step program to say i'm sorry but he was put away Mm -hmm. he had adversity as a narcissist there's a revenge factor so these are predators and and we already know this so i can't imagine this was an uphill battle tell me about the battle you had with the senate bill and getting it into law so i when i i do want to touch on one more thing i had to go to court and reface him to ask the judge please do not lift his probation if you lift his probation, I will have no protection. And everyone in the courtroom is like, hmm, what do you mean? What do I mean? You, you're giving these, these perpetrators an off the hook. You're just saying, okay, well, you did seven to 14 years. That's a lifetime. Get out of he here. He shouldn't have the right to see you. Well, no. Yeah. He, but, and, and he, in virtue of not having that probation, by not having that order of protection, by not having that lifetime probation, he has the right to see you. Yeah, he sh there should never be an opportunity. Thank you. Never. And the consequence should be so terrifying that it doesn't even cross their mind. Because that's, that's what you need for a sexual predator. Yes. That's what you need for these predators. No. Well, and she hits on the consequence, and that's what we're going to talk about in the next segment uh, in, in quite a while because we have a long way to go with Kaylee. Yeah. But <laughs> that's the problem. The consequences... Do not and with sexual predators, do, do they not have to have that. And I'm completely. Oh my god! You got the fired volume up. button. You got You're the vo up. volume button, Robin. <laughs> yep, I'm ready. So I teach victimology at the academy, and the entire point of victimology is starting with the recruits when law enforcement and other people come into a victim's life is after they've already become a victim. So. The class that I teach is how not to re-victimize that. And that could be, so that could be law enforcement. That could be the news media. It could be medical staff. It could be clergy. It could be anything. And you are the perfect example of why this class is taught at the basic level. In week number six of the academy, long before officers are qualified with their guns, long before they're given... The powers of they are taught this very early on because of the importance. And here you are saying, fourteen years later, you were re-victimized by the probation system, the judge, a bunch of people who couldn't take the time to even try and put themselves in your shoes as a peer or a parent. That stuff I can't even. I mean, I can say without hesitation, I have one daughter. If this was her, this soccer coach would be so dead in a way that dead would have to be like redefined is how I would kill him. I want to kill this guy, but you haven't said his name, so you probably shouldn't. Nope. I, I, I'm completely blown away. Flabbergasted. I, I am. that. And when it comes to sexual desires, fantasies, I think, you know, I agree with you wholeheartedly, Darren. Regardless if he was having affairs with other soccer moms, adults, if you have a sexual desire toward a child, that is a disease that cannot be cured. And the fact that they put them back in the same room, 
so that he could see her, that is that is equivalent to somebody who has been starving in the desert for two weeks. It's re-victimization. And you walk them into it's Ruth's Chris Steakhouse. Now it, you guys it, 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 understand like, why a, a lot of victims don't come forward because absolutely. you're being re-victimized no, right. over and, and over. And, who, and who, yeah. can, who can blame them. And I don't blame, I mean, God, I... Don't take this the wrong way because I understand you were the one who was victimized and you have to live with that. But my heart is just, it's gut-wrenching to think what your parents went through. Yeah, and then, as parents. So, you know, to deal with the fact that they didn't notice any of the grooming signs, then when they found They were groomed though. Don't okay, push so, that aside. My entire family was so groomed. So the whole the family community. was groomed. Yes. The community. When, All those other when kids. When they finally... When they finally came out, they tried to do right by you. They they helped you in the process. They allowed you to still play soccer. I give them so much credit for that. They did what they thought was right by not putting you through that trial and that trauma. Now, at the age you are right now, if you you would probably want to go through that trial. You would want him to go to prison, he not jail. He doesn't understand how good he, his plea deal was. No, and your but your parents did the right thing, yeah. and now they're being re-victimized by... Because they were the decision makers, yep. and it's coming back now. Now I can't believe we're talking about 2020. I feel like this is something that should have happened in like 1850. Right, <laughs> right. How in the fuck right. in 2020 do we have the levels of right. law enforcement that fail to enforce the law and judicially ju- the judicial That's still system? Law enforcement. They're failing to enforce. Yeah. Decisions that were made. This yeah. was the deal, and that goes back to what I was talking about about winning. When when attorneys only care about a win, whether it's a plea on the defense side and a plea on the prosecution side, so we can agree, so we don't have to go to court. I totally get the parents, and I totally get not wanting to put your child on the stand. And and there's rules in court that allow the suspect, the defendant has rights. And now we're looking at your little book and of your rights as a victim and his rights are so much more. Yeah. Do you know, um, I had, it's, I had put something on Instagram, like a perpetrator's rights are more, have more rights than victims. And a couple people said, no, they don't. Marcy's law is a perfect example there. Marcy's law is to give victims equal rights to the perpetrator. How, again, how ass backwards is yes. that? Why are we so, I understand due process and whatever, but why are we so worried about the perpetrators and their rights? Why are you not more focused on the victims? It's so bad. And and the more that I get into this, the more wrong I find and the more I'm working on. And, and the more you're getting into this, I, I got to hear this story about how you got this into law. This is a young lady who was a, a mother. I, I hate to use the word stay-at-home mother, but you had five kids. You have a lot on your plate. That's a huge job. Thank you. Hardest job Thank you. So you got, you got all this, and you hit this bad news, and you have to see him again and say no, and you say enough's enough, yeah. and you end up spearheading. This is when I talk about you being the trailblazer. This is amazing what you've done. Please tell us that journey. Well, I just, I, I said, like I said, I said in court that I, I this is my only protection, and, and everyone was so taken back that that was it. And so someone had come up to me and said, you're right, there is nothing. I can't believe I'm telling you to do this, but you need to contact your local legislator. And honestly, I was like, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> <laughs> 
So I learned, I figured out who my senator was. My husband helped me. He's so good with helping me with this. He's so supportive. And I emailed her um, at February 26th, so three or four days after we went to court. And then the next week, COVID happened and nothing else in the world mattered. Like, literally. Nobody cared. The world stopped. And and I didn't know this at the time, but that was the, um, like, session had just started. And so I, I don't know anything about the legislative process at this point. And... Um, time had gone by, you know, life keeps going. Nobody knew what was happening. And in October, I was just in such a dark place. Kids are not meant to be at home. I, I my husband was working crazy hours and I just, it, one day it was really weighing on me that every day that has passed, another victim doesn't have protection. And I learned that, um, here's your fun fact for the day, Arizona residents, the third Friday of every month in Maricopa County, the sex offenders get to go at 1 p.m. and motion to have their lifetime probation lifted early and they get off. That's BS. What in the fuck yeah. am yeah. I listening to? Mm-hmm. Yeah. If there's like if, a, yeah. If, the, if, there's no, if there's no throwback to it, it's, it's a rubber stamp. Mm-hmm. Yep. They. I mean, literally, like when I got off the elevator, you there's a lobby full of people and uh it's not like you're like oh what's going on why are there so many people here oh no you're you're walking into a lobby full of sex offenders literally and on the right side the sex offenders sit and on the left side the few people that are there sit and they go up and they plead their case of why they should be let off early and it the first three offenders got off when i went to court the first three talk about defeating um and so in October, I just, I thought about that. I'm like, this many months have gone by. How many perpetrators have gotten off? How many victims don't have protection? How many victims don't know they have protection? Like, I can't wait forever to for COVID to go away. I just can't. And so I called my senator's office until they answered their phone. And I also know one of her daughters, because my husband went to high school with her and our kids go to school together. And I just said, hey, I didn't want to have to like use this connection, but can you please tell your mom I've emailed her? I really need to talk to her. And I explained what happened. Well, they lived out in Buckeye when this happened. So they remember it. Um, you know, you remember these yeah, things. Th- this was noteworthy. This was a yeah. media was on this. And so uh, we got a meeting December, uh, scheduled December 5th with her attorneys. And they just, she said, are you sure she's like, right? And, that, and her attorney said, there is nothing that comes when that probation ends. So in January, she called and, and she, well, she said, give me a little bit of time. We have to write something. And she said, hey, I'm going to drop the bill in. We got the bill SB 1412. And I didn't know what that meant. I, I, I mean, I literally didn't know what anything meant. And so um, I remember feeling very anxious because I didn't understand the process. But she'd call me, um, you know, the night before and say, hey, it's going before this committee tomorrow. Hey, can you testify before this one? And the first one was virtual, which drove me nuts because I just can't. I'm, I'm an in-person person. And I did it. And I was so nervous. And they cut people off at 90 seconds. And I was, like, trying to get everything out. It was it was a lot. And, and again, back to re-traumatizing, even though – or re-victimizing, I'm choosing to do it. Sometimes it's easy and sometimes it's really hard to get up and talk. Oh, it's courageous. And uh, and so I had to testify before the Judiciary Committee on February 24th. It was my daughter's, or February 25th. And the day before I had to have an emergency surgery. And I remember sitting with my surgeon and saying, I have to go to the house tomorrow and testify. Yeah. And he was like, oh, okay, only because of this, but you go and you go home. So they accommodated me really well. But I got to go and you know testify and and just speak to the importance of this bill and that victims were left with no protection. And I think everyone, again, shared the same disbelief. What do you mean they get off their probation? What do you mean there's no protection? There's not. And I'm bringing this to your attention, so let's fix it. And uh, and so I just really stayed on top of it. And Senator Kerr is incredible. I'm so grateful for her and so thankful that God placed her in this path. Aww. But. Um, and on April 20th, 2021, uh, I was 
running on the treadmill and Senator Kerr called and said, hey, um, Governor Ducey just signed your bill. And it went through both the Arizona State Senate and the Arizona House of Representatives and passed with complete bipartisan, bipartisan. support. I love that. Because it's a no-brainer. Yes. That goes to show the importance of it. And you are doing so much more. You're going from not just Arizona, but now Wisconsin. A new Wisconsin law aims to protect survivors of sexual assault. Republicans introducing Kaylee's Law today. The proposed legislation would allow certain sexual assault victims to petition the court for a lifetime restraining order against their convicted assailant. The law named after Kaylee Kozak, who was sexually assaulted as a child. Her goal now is to make sure every survivor is protected. Every victim in every state matters. And I'm so very grateful that we are on to our next state, the state of Wisconsin. And I am hopeful that this law will soon pass here and that you will have the direct protection that you deserve because you still matter. That's huge. So what, what is the protection? So it's, it's a hot mess right now. I'm not going to lie. <laughs> <laughs> Love the honesty. Uh, yeah. Well, it's a new law. So yeah. we, I mean, Every, we have to give grace. It's not, we're not going to perfect good for you. it. Good for you. But I'm not going to stop working on it. Every uh, journey takes, takes that first step. Yes. Okay. Where's it at today in Arizona? So right now, um, the way it's written, it, <laughs> it was put under a traditional IAH, meaning that it was only good for a year. And when I met with the implementation team, I, the entire time I was like, oh my God, I can't believe this is bullshit. Like, <laughs> what, what do you mean a victim has to file every year? So basically what you're telling me in a nutshell is a perpetrator sentence ends and a victim starts like this. And it was just an oversight. And so we, we have fixed it. We have an amendment. Oh, and, and can I just like take a moment to stress this if it's okay? Please. So, um, again, my Senator is incredible. She is so incredible. Um, but she's not a subject expert with this. So it's important to work with people who know what they're talking about. So she sends us the rough draft for the amendments. And I have learned the term lifetime is seven to 14 years. Yes. Seven to 14. Yes. Uh, is it dog years? I, I mean, <laughs> since when is a lifetime seven to 14? I'm sorry to laugh. It's no, insane. it's true. It's insane, but that's lawyers uh, and legalese playing okay. games. Yes. Did the district attorney or the prosecutor in your case, when he talked, to your parents back then not mention that minor detail this is just new in because the, last the word five years the word life like you don't have to be an educated person to know mm -hmm. what that means yeah a life sentence is a life sentence they've just no, started it's not it's because because the criminal justice system right now is working for the perpetrator and so they this just it's it's a fairly new thing but i'm bringing as much awareness and noise to it as i Good possibly can so my senator um, sends me the rough draft, which I'm grateful for, it's for us to look over and we're going through it. So this is why it's so important to read our legislative bills. So it has all this stuff in there, right, about an uh, injunction against harassment, which is what my law will do. It will provide a true lifetime of protection, not seven to 14 years. And so she sends it. And I'm like, I have some questions and I need some clarification. So I say starting at line 17, subsection H, it says a defendant is entitled to one hearing upon written request. Now, this is under a traditional injunction against harassment. Okay, due process. I understand we need to give them that. My question is, is this applicable to all injunctions? If so, this appears to be a loophole for perpetrators to get out of the IAH. Good for you. If this is an actual loophole, H should maybe read as follows. Now, this is 
my husband and my, you know, I brainstorming. At any time during the period during which the injunction is in effect, the defendant is entitled to one hearing on written request, except for an injunction that is effective and that is issued for harassment as defined as subsection T, paragraph one, subdivision C. That is Kaylee's law. So that was a new section created under um, an injunction against harassment, meaning a true lifetime. There's a difference between somebody who has not been charged a crime, who has been alleged to do something that has, like you said, due process. There's a huge difference from that person with an injunction against harassment and a convicted sex offender yes. and it's it seems like it's a no-brainer but the legal ease the way it moves you have to introduce these things so good for and you, you have to be so specific and then this is how sad it is i have to say also starting on line 39 it states an injunction is effective and is issued for harassment as defined as subsection t paragraph one subdivision c of this section does not expire and is valid for the life of a defendant Okay, well, since we're messing around with terminology now and not sticking to true factual definitions. True um, words. Yeah. Given for what I have been through in my current experience, the misleading definition of the acceptable word life or lifetime, we need to be more clear and define this in order to prevent a loophole. And what kind of life are we referring to? A victim, or I'm sorry, a defendant's natural life or the probation legal system's definition of life, which is seven to 14 years. Love it. Because so we have to, that's that's where we're at in our world. We have to be so specific. So no, we're talking about a defendant's natural life, not, oh, in seven years, you can just decide you want to, you know, object this injunction. And, and take your victim back to court and whoever came up with life term is seven to 14 years i don't know let's find it, out it, it, it changes from Seriously, state to state I know. let's find out the james o'keefe we're gonna call him the so-called victim ab- excuse me the so-called advocates not victim advocates but the so-called advocates for reform for bail reform they keep changing words on us they use the word bail reform which means Criminals don't have to go to jail. They keep changing these words. And you, Kaylee brings up the perfect point. When you talk about lifetime, it doesn't mean that. And they know that. And it's, it's their way to implode the system so that empower criminals. Why they do that, I don't know. I'll never know. It's the, you know, it's up is down, down is up, right is left, left is right, you know, wrong is, it's just insanity. But having you, in charge of this. I love this. And so now Wisconsin, where are we at with this Wisconsin? And what's the next state you're going to, girl? So um, Wisconsin's uh, still in their, we're still in their legislative process. There is one um, uh, assembly member who's really just not for this. And I'm not sure why. It makes you wonder Thank you. what he, uh, why Thank is you. he so against this? <laughs> Thank he's you. probably got some a secret traitor you know, that has never been outed. I flew back to Wisconsin. I did a 27 hour last minute flight. And I can't tell you how difficult that is with five kids and my husband's schedule in the middle of summer to go testify because they only have one public hearing committee. But it's critical that I'm there to testify in person. And they turned this bill into something it wasn't. Well, what if in high school, a high school boy touches a girl? We're talking, I'm like, you know what? Post conviction, post probation, and these are our legis or our elected legislators. You would think, right? You would think they're smart. Well, how, this, no. like this should not come as a surprise. These fucking I, people are <laughs> beyond the pale of idiocy and 
and just evil. So yes. this is not a But surprise. I'm like, so they, I'm going to testify, not have a conversation, but they never disabled my mic. So when he was, you know, saying, well, this isn't a problem in Wisconsin and we're not true or we're true to our definitions here. I, I activated my mic and I said, excuse me, I'm just going to go off of what he's saying. So you're telling me in the state of Wisconsin, lifetime means lifetime. The assembly member laughed and the ledge council said to the chair, can I answer her? And he said, please do. What do you, Lifetime is lifetime unless there's some early release mechanism. Thank you. Unless. <laughs> because that is exactly what's happening. Yes. They're giving these perpetrators these early release mechanisms and they're not even, they don't even give a shit what it does to victims. They don't care. And victims are so tired and worn and they don't want to have to keep doing this. So they just walk away. I'm not fucking walking away. Good like for you. I have a lot of fight in me Adam and it sucks you. and I don't want to yes. have to be doing this, but God You're doing is, this for your children, for your all the It's children. an important legacy Absolutely. to leave behind. Absolutely. So I'm going to put you on the spot a little bit politically. Uh, I do want to give you some credit. You're the first guest in three years on the show who has actually said anything kind about any politician <laughs> because I refuse. And so go back to Senator Kerr. Mm -hmm. She took it upon herself to do this and fight for you. Doesn't sound like the bill was is perfect yet. You're going to keep working on that. What what I don't understand because it, it like should be such a clear picture to me. This is a senator uh, at the state level mm -hmm. we only have two senators that represent the entire state at the national level if arizona is leading the charge on this type of law this type of legislative change then let me ask you and again i apologize there's only one way to ask you where in the fuck is the useless mark kelly and where is Kirsten Cinema? And why did Senator Kerr, for all the wonderful things you said about her, why is she not beating down their door saying, I passed this in a completely bipartisan way in this state? The least you could do is take it to the national level. Where are these fucking people? So, no, that's a fair question. I actually like it. Um, so I I can't speak to why she hasn't reached out to them directly. Maybe because she Maybe knows she they're useless. Well, but she has reached out to Congresswoman Lesko and Congressman Biggs. And so we I am working with them. On a national level. Yep. Uh, <laughs> I mean, that's awesome. But literally is. the most useless body of people in America is the United States House of Representatives. We're talking about 532 people who can't get a fucking thing done. For, for us. So that's just comical. And so it's the senators I, that have to get it. Yeah, done. I agree. That's the, because the way our laws are written, they yep. are the lawmakers. Yeah. So I reached out to um, Cinema and Kelly, and I understand it wasn't um, Senator Kelly who responded like personally to me, but I sent all this stuff, and he was, his response was, Thank you for contacting me about equal health insurance for oh. all Arizonans. And I was like, you know what? Wow. No, that, Did that he is, not that read Senator, it? No, wow. that is Senator Kelly. He is completely wow. clueless. useless. And his wife was a victim. I know. And I, so you know what? I thought maybe that astounding. would. Yeah, because here in Arizona, the bill is written to protect victims of sexual and domestic abuse. Um, now, the domestic abuse falls under certain, you know, felony and charges and things, but I thought for sure maybe he would jump. He, need, he needs something, right? So why not jump on this? 
he hasn't. You know what? I don't need these fucking people. I'll figure it out myself. Good. Watch well, me. That's the, the more, oh, the you more you're the out there, you do the more shows you do, do, like Badge Boys. Granted, Badge Boys is a pinnacle, but the more shows you do, <laughs> I'm being teasing here, um, it's getting that word out. So let us know what we can do to help you get this word out. Uh, we know of another podcast uh, here at the beautiful um Star Worldwide Studios that would love to have you as a guest. I have no doubt. Yes, you're going to be a part of the collection. Yeah. <laughs> if there's one thing. I guarantee that, it. In closing here, if there's one thing that you would tell uh, a victim out there, a, a survivor, but again, mm-hmm. I, I don't want to play with words. You know, they were victimized. They're, they were a victim. Yeah, it's what, their journey. Yeah, what would you tell them where you're at now? Because I know, you know, again, you put this on yourself because you have brave heart you have an incredible brain you have a great um resource and advocate with your husband um so i love where you're at and what you're doing and i love your passion on this um for someone out there what will you tell them in terms of this journey that you're starting on if they are now at that post-conviction place and like you said each year there's always these things that come up it just seems like it's just you just almost want to somehow put it in rear view mirror and not look at it. What would you tell that person? You don't have to stay in that box. You're not a victim. You're a survivor. You survived what happened to you. Don't stay in that box and don't let that be what defines you. You know, I hate saying, talking about all these things. I'm a mom of five. I'm a wife. I'm a Jesus lover, all these things. And then saying, oh yeah. And I'm a survivor of childhood sexual abuse, but I am, that's part of my story. But you don't have to let that define who you are. You don't have to stay there. And you're not alone. It's so important for victims and survivors to know they're not alone and that your voice matters. You still matter. And that is why I am fighting for every victim and every survivor because you still matter. And for those listening that are like, you go girl, they're like excited, almost like that hashtag Me Too movement that did make a change. It really did. I'm one of those supporters. If there's somebody that wants to get a hold of you, that wants to join you on this journey, because where there's more voices, there's more action, what can they do? Well, you can start by checking out our website, because you still matter.org. And also, one of the big things um, that you can do, specifically here in Arizona, and I can't, I can't speak in detail to other states, is get involved with this legislative process so that when these bills go before our legislators, you can go and testify. We have something called an RTS here in Arizona. It's called a request to speak, and it gives citizens the right to have their voices be heard on bills. And so, for example... I'm working on a few different bills with a couple different legislators right now in this next session. But if 1412 was going through and you wanted to come as a, as a victim or a survivor and testify and say, hey, this is what this bill will do for me in the future, that gives you the ability to do that. And that, that's, that voice and that support really can help push these things forward. So it's important that you know, victims and survivors start coming forward a little bit more to help and, and you're be brave. Have be a common brave. voice. There's strength yeah. in numbers. There is. Exactly. Yes. So one last time that website. Uh, because you still matter.org. Because you still matter.org. Because you really do. Yep. Thank you so much, Kaylee. I cannot thank you enough. And not just for being on Bad Boys, but for this journey that you're taking on your, your shoulders. You are absolutely my hero. You really are. And I mean that. Thank you. We'll be right back. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. During these challenging days, we not only need to remember our many fallen heroes for their ultimate sacrifice, but also honor them so their families know we've not forgotten. 
and that's what the Arizona Fallen Hero Memorial Riders Organization is all about. Each year, the nonprofit organizes three memorial rides among the beautiful backdrop of North, South, and Central Arizona, with the proceeds going to the 100 Club of Arizona. Learn more about these fun rides and how you can honor all of Arizona's fallen heroes at ArizonaFallenHeroesMemorialRiders.org. You're listening to Batch Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Batch Boys. Welcome back to Bad Boys, everybody. Uh, Darren, as always, thank you. Was she very wonderful? Much. It's, it's, Truly wonderful. Absolutely incredible. I am just—I uh, love when you get to speak to somebody, and especially in this day and age with things going. I mean, I'm doing a virtual speech tomorrow where I have to stare at myself. Yeah. And trying to make an impact on an audience is not as easy. We deal with that a lot. To have somebody in studio again. <laughs> Who that is, interaction. Is, yeah, but... And can I just say a powerful woman? Well, that's oh what I'm saying. God. Somebody yes. who's, yeah. powerful who's person. so passionate and so fierce. Uh, I seriously, I just, I want to run through a wall right now and fight for somebody. So I know. I love, for her. I love being inspired. I love being... And, I, and uh, I'll cover that again in the next segment. But this, in some small way, to want to use one of your favorite words, uh, this segues into the hot topic. I, and this, I mean, truly a hot topic. I just read this this morning. The everybody's heard the bigger stories across the country the last few months with some of the biggest idiots in the country. The uh, L.A. District Attorney George Gascon and the uh, San Francisco District Attorney, uh, who's got a name I can't pronounce, Tessa or Hessa or whatever. Uh, but they make it very clear that they absolutely love criminals and crime. And they do not care about victims. They've made that very clear with what they're doing. And a lot of people are getting hurt and killed. So this morning I read the Manhattan district attorney, the new one, sent a memo throughout his office saying, we will not prosecute for prostitution. We will not prosecute for people jumping over the the uh, turnstile gates, getting into the subway. And the list went on and on. And the final one was, we will not prosecute resisting arrest. Everything that gets talked about since George Floyd's death is the anti-police rhetoric. Everything is, law enforcement is bad. Criminals, you are allowed to resist and fight. And... The people who are making these decisions. Now, I must be naive, Darren, I'm, and I'm, I, I'm very open to say this. I am almost 50 years old. And up until a year and a half ago, I swear to God, I thought a district attorney was a law enforcement official. So now I feel incredibly stupid and naive. Now that I know what we're talking about here, and these are elected people. Political. Of course, it's political. I don't. I don't know how common sense like cannot exist in somebody or how true stupidity or pure evil. It's it, Those are the only three things that will cause somebody to say, we will not charge you with resisting arrest because that simple sentence tells people I can get in a fight with a police officer. I don't have to comply. And what the lawmakers or the DAs fail to realize that normal people realize is 
Now you talk about the escalation Thank you. in the use of force. So more people are going to end up yep. injured and killed, both civilian. And I, I'm calling criminal civilians right now, but also future criminals, if you will. But also yeah. police officers. And there are some prime examples. Kim Potter, who just got found guilty of manslaughter in Minnesota, she was found guilty for mistakenly using her gun instead of her taser. I talked about this numerous times. I would have been fine. I trusted the judicial process. I think if you look at every the jury case, got it right. Every case, big case that's gone back over the last 12 months, the jury keeps getting it right. They do. She made a mistake. She's guilty of manslaughter yeah. by the, the eyes of the law. However, what that traffic stop started out as the the person that they now call a victim. Right. And he was wanted for a felony warrant for shooting somebody in the head for aggravated robbery of $800 from a woman. He was wanted for that. And when he chose to resist arrest, it's when it escalated everything. So it makes you wonder, had Kim Potter not made the mistake of using her gun, had she gotten it right and used the taser? When he was taken to jail, would the DA out there have been like, "What are you doing here? Go away. Good exactly. job. Exactly. Great, We've great seen job it. resisting. We've seen it. That's what. So, in the universities, on TV, and now you have DAs telling people, "Resist arrest. We will not prosecute." What kind of message does that send to not only criminals but as a police officer? Why? Would you even do it? The message it sends is that they're disingenuous with their position. In other words, that DA, when he says, you know, we're not going to um, prosecute these low-level crimes, and at the same time, he says, you know, we, we're here for the public. We're here for the people. We're here to, you know, have, you know, law enforcement reform, judicial reform, all this reform. He is lying. And the reason I say that is because, to your point, you, we know that when resisting arrest is allowed, then escalation of force will occur and more people will be hurt on both sides of that equation, whether it's the offender or the law enforcement and more people. So it's almost like they want it to be a, a revolving door, almost like they want it to be a recidivism, like they want it to occur. And the problem I have is this is a common theme. This Manhattan uh, DA is not on an island by himself. Oh, good Lord, the, no. He is part of a, of a, a political agenda that is again, I hate you keep using the word, but insidiously putting in this terminology. You keep seeing, how many times do we see on the news in the summer of 2020, it's peaceful for, for the most part. We kept hearing that over and over. Even as buildings were burning down to the right. ground around a reporter, he, like an idiot, still mimicked those words like a parrot. Peaceful for the most part. When buildings are literally burning down and did all anybody go to jail for arson and zero and on top of all that it was the same rhetoric you heard the same exact verbiage and now we're hearing the same exact verbiage as well from the DAs. these political themed da's are there for one purpose and it's to keep the cycle rolling i look at it like the um the border um when you talk about immigration this is hot button topic why 
We know it's been a problem all along. Why aren't we fixing it? It's, it, it's an easy fix, but we're not going to fix it because people are politicizing it on their side of the aisle. And to your point, left, right, I don't care. I don't care about what side of the aisle you're on. You, people like it because they can have power by having it as a political statement. Instead of fixing the damn thing, which is what Kaylee's doing with the probation, she's fixing it. We have politicians that don't want to fix it. They just want to keep using it for their rallying cry to get reelected and well, i'm tired of the politicians this, this is why we have checks and balances though and what what i'd like to see happen because until people stand up to this insanity this absurd way of looking at uh, it truly it looks like a desire for other victims to become victims to get hurt by sending people back out on the streets but back to the checks and balances thing you have this Manhattan DA. Well, Manhattan is New York City, right? It yeah, is. Yeah. That is inside of a county. When is a county attorney going to step up and say, oh, no, not no. on my watch? If, exactly. If they let you out, you still committed that crime in my county, and I'm going to hammer you. Until those kind of checks and balances take place, uh, and we've talked about this, unfortunately, we're going on. I a know, year and a half, I know. and and I know that you've mentioned a few times, Darren, and I love your positivity, uh, and I am I shift. am positive at every minute and point in my life, except on this show. <laughs> <laughs> um, you have mentioned the paradigm shift, yeah. and I still think that we are. I don't even think we have come close to falling off the cliff yet. We're all running toward it, and the few people who are running away from it get told they're stupid. It is going to get so much worse before it gets better. And every day you see these little examples and the little things, uh, as Kaylee knows, with what she's trying to work toward. You've got to build little by little, and finally you'll have this big, beautiful foundation that cannot be taken down. That is what these DAs and politicians are doing, is just every day, little by little, you know, take a couple inches forward, and then and then back off when when there's resistance, and then wait till it settles down. Then take it, and eventually in 20 years, I, it's going to be complete chaos. Yeah, you're 100 right. Uh, when it talks about that paradigm shift, I can point to two things. One, we can no longer do the dumb de Blasser report because that dipshit is out of office, and now we have a really good. New York mayor. Worst mayor in the history of the United exactly. States. Exactly. The voters voted. And it was the Kayleys of New York that said enough well, he wasn't allowed is to enough. Run. He, well, he, he but, destroyed But his counterpart didn't go. He destroyed you know the what I'm saying? Yeah. I mean, and we could not have gone to a yeah. better direction in terms of law enforcement, in, to, in terms of, yeah. you know, fighting lawlessness. And New York saw that and New York voted appropriately. Well, and then he appointed a really good police commissioner. Absolutely. And we're going to keep going that. I think the best top on this is Kaylee's last word because you are who we're talking about. We're talking about the citizens that are making a difference like Kaylee is. Please. Accountability. Why We should be holding all these people. Why are we intimidated by their titles? Why? <laughs> it is be. comical to me how many people are like, how did you get a senator to meet with you? She That's works for job. me. Right? Yes. Here yeah, is exactly. your daily That's reminder. Your elected officials work for you. Let me say that one more time. Please. Your elected officials work for you, the people. And we need to start holding everybody in these positions accountable. There needs to be more accountability. 
I love it. That's the perfect way to end uh, that Cop Talk. The perfect way to end it. We will be right back with uh, Heroic Headlines, Looney Laws, with no sound effects, Robin. Wrong. Well, There's sound effects. I'm just letting you know now. Just nothing you have to worry about. <laughs> and right. I will try to calm down for a beautiful inspirational close. We'll be right awesome. back. Awesome. More stories, inside guests, and true blue humor coming up on Batch Boys. We'll be back right after this. If you like the Badge Boys, you'll love their books, starting with Burning Shield, the Jason Schechterly story, which Arizona Diamondbacks president Derek Hall proclaimed, Jason is an inspiration and his story must be read and shared. The professionally written novel is a powerful biography chronicling Jason's gut-wrenching battle to health after being trapped in a fireball that consumed his police car and his high-stakes legal showdown against the Ford Motor Company for their explodingly lethal Crown Victoria Police Cruisers. Then there's Darren's award-winning Twisted But True book trilogy with close to 100 compelling and funny true crime stories that American Detectives with Lieutenant Joe Kenda producer called the perfect blend of humor, heroism, and honor. And retired Colonel Dave Grossman declared, Darren's Twisted But True books are hilarious, deep, and powerful. Each book in the series received the Pinnacle Award for the best true crime book, and a story from book two was featured on an ID Channel television show. And Robin's most recent book, Soul Stirrings, reviewed as an often humorous and spiritually uplifting story of a widow's soul-searching pilgrimage to the afterlife. Darren called it a love story, a ghost story, an investigative story. It's a story like no other. And Robin's first book, Victim No More, where she shares her harrowing experiences with rape and domestic violence as Robin takes the reader on a very personal journey through the morass of abuse and loss, and ultimately, survival. These Badge Boy books should be on everybody's top 10 reading list. You're listening to Badge Boys with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Now, back to the Badge Boys. Welcome back to Badge Boys, everybody. It is one of my favorite parts of the show because I get to hear a song that uh, puts a little lightness in my heart. And then, uh, and then Darren will bring me back down to the uh, bowels of, to the bowels. To the bowels um, of humanity. So what are the loony laws for this week? Uh, they're good. Uh, loony laws around the world. Some of these laws may seem absolutely ridiculous, while others may be based on some type of cultural differences, but they are all hard to believe. And since they are all true, it's best that you know the loony laws around the world before you travel to some far-off distant land and discover <laughs> you've broken a law by being fat in Japan. Before you start, I just have please, to ask please. a question. Don't sumo wrestlers come from Japan? I, I'm going to hit that. I'll okay, hit that. Cool. Yeah, no cool, doubt. In fact, as soon as I did the little tease about, you know, it's illegal to be overweight in Japan, <laughs> Jason looks at me. Are you serious? Yeah, it's true. It's illegal to be overweight in Japan, other than our beloved sumo wrestlers, uh, who in an effort, these the lawmakers, in an effort to prevent obs- um, obesity, excuse me, in citizens, they c- created or enacted the Metabo Law. This law mandates that all Japanese citizens between the ages of 40 and 74, to exclude sumo wrestlers, submit to an annual waist measurement 
conducted by what? their doctor. No, it's true. Fines <laughs> so will, unfair yes, and ridiculous. Fines will be incurred if men have a waist over 33.5 inches and women over what? 33.5. You're going to jail, That's buddy. Skinny. You're going to jail. Listen, I'm in yeah. pretty good shape. Yeah. I'm a size yeah. 36. Yeah. What? Yeah. Yep. And <laughs> women, when their bellies exceed over 35.4 inches. Now, I'm not sure why women get the extra two inches maybe for child birthing in their 40s. I don't know. But yeah, what I, it's hard to get rid of that after you have kids. Come insane. on. Let's be real. But what I do know is that this. That is completely biased that you get an extra couple inches. I know. I'm not touching that. I'm not can. touching and that. None of this makes sense. But there's one thing that makes a lot of sense. You know what that is, my friend? No. I'm big in Japan. No, no, no we're, we're, I could listen to it forever, though, but we, we are on time schedule. Yeah. Uh, it is also, talk about Japan, craziness, it's illegal to dance in the dark after midnight in Japan. No, I, I say it again, yeah. Uh, dancing after midnight was banned for the generations, as was thought it was too sinful, maybe like an Americana, and it was enacted in 1948 while U.S. soldiers were occupied in Japan. The ban was placed to stop the liberal Americans from corrupting the good Japanese citizens. Finally lifted the ban in 2015, where you can now dance after midnight. But you can't do it in a dark, dark, dark place. You can't do it in the nightclub. Hey, so, some people can't dance and don't want to Nobody wants to see this want, guy dancing. Yes, nobody no, wants to see no, me dance. No. So, but dancing feels good, right? Uh, yeah, but so you, but you even, want to do it in the dark? You should be able to. It's therapeutic. Wow. But no, not in Japan. Oh, Even Bruce Springsteen can't dance in the dark. Yeah, I, I, I cut that off a little bit quicker. Uh, China. We're going to go to China, their neighbor. It's illegal to reincarnate without permission in China. I say again, yeah, you can't reincarnate without permission. How the uh, hell would they know? I don't know. Tibetan wow. Buddhist monks are not allowed to reincarnate after they die unless they have been granted uh, you know, permission from the government. And I'm not sure how they enforce this, but China is known for having some really strict laws like... The last loony law, which is in China, you must provide for your elderly parents. Now, I like that. Uh, the elderly rights law was enacted very recently, mandates that adult children have to care for their elderly parents uh, who are over the age of 60, including, but not limited to, forsaking them, insulting them, and you also have to take care of the family farm. But I love this part. You have to call them on a regular basis. You know, you know. have you called your mom? That sort of thing. Yeah, it's the law if you're not. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. Uh, but it's kind of cool at the same time. Oh, yeah, so that's not. And th th China is different. They have some different uh, cultures. And I love the Chinese culture. And I'm not just saying that because we're all going to be working for them in six months. <laughs> The Chinese have an amazing culture. They do. 3,000 years ago, they were doing brain surgery in China, yet they still haven't figured out dessert. <laughs> you ever go to a Chinese restaurant? I'm not talking about the fancy Chinese restaurant that has the tea ice cream that tastes like a pack of menthol cigarettes. I'm talking about a regular Chinese restaurant. One of the dessert options, there's two, right? There's sliced oranges. Ooh. <laughs> 
I don't want to overwork the kitchen. <laughs> Oranges? What, did a schooner just arrive from the Caribbean? <laughs> Looks like our scurvy's cured, fellas. There's sliced oranges, or there's the fortune cookie, which is not even a Chinese thing. It's an American thing, and we gave it to them, and they're like, we don't want it. And we were like, it's now part of your ethnic identity. <laughs> and that is the Looney Laws. All right, Darren, for the inspirational close this week, uh, it's been a big news story uh, here this week. I hope that it goes national because anytime somebody goes above and beyond the call of duty to help somebody else, uh, a lifetime worth of change, it's just, it's sometimes hard to wrap your mind around what it takes to show this kind of compassion and courage. And this comes right here with my beloved Phoenix Police Department, a Phoenix police officer gave a 10-year-old girl one of her kidneys. Life. Officer Jackie Revelo decided to help out Becky Cop, who she met playing recreational softball a couple of years ago. The two stayed Facebook friends where Cop would post updates about her daughter, Lily, who suffers from a medical condition. Cop poured her heart out to family and friends about Lily's condition on Facebook, and Lily desperately needed a new kidney after her condition caused her kidneys to fail the poor girl's 10 years old imagine going through dialysis all that it's just devastating as we have children it's it's not even fair um she needed a kidney transplant uh had one in the past but it was unsuccessful probably not a good match also revelo said as a patient or parent of three daughters talk about understanding She she knew she needed to help Quote, for me, I think a lot of it had to do with me being a mom. That kind of hit home to me because I have three girls. Seeing somebody, especially somebody so young, going through so much with that, most adults don't have to deal with. Also, Revelo said that Kopp was surprised when she told her she wanted to donate a kidney to Lily to be a living donor. I think it was kind of a shock to her. And she said, are you serious? And Officer Revelo said that they were all very Grateful. The Phoenix police officer said the process took a few months after multiple tests confirming that she was a match for Lily. For a really long, drawn-out process, I was like, okay, let's do it. Let's do it tomorrow. I never had any doubts. Whatever risks they informed you about, they were minimal compared to the benefits, which definitely outweighed those risks. The surgery was a success, and Officer Revelo, who is back at work, back on patrol with her one kidney, and Lily got to meet after the operation. Revlo credits Lily, saying the young girl is strong and mature, and despite her medical issues, to see this nine-year, nine, ten-year-old girl have to deal with what she's dealing with just makes it all worth it to see that she is going to live a healthy life. Love now. the story. So, also Revlo, you are. A huge inspiration to all of us that we can always leave the day and sometimes the entire world better than you found it. And I think everybody noticed I did not start with a heroic headline because uh, to use our words earlier, it is a no brainer and it is Kaylee Kozak Absolutely. to the fight that she has in her heroes. Don't choose to be heroes. They don't want to do it. There's not a fucking manual on how to do it. You just do 
what's they right. Step up. You do what's right for the benefit of yourself and boys, your family. She's a shero, and she's a shero. There you go. But Kaylee's a hero. Not, I mean, five kids. Jesus. Oh, that, amazing. That's heroic in itself, right? And the the fight that she, you heard her voice. Go back and listen again. The she's going Passion. to she's going to make a difference. Yep. For. Over the next, I mean, when you think about this, this, this is, is today long. we're talking about. Yeah. But there is no end to this, and it's going to end up helping millions and millions of victims out there as the years and decades go by, long after we're all gone. Yep. And that talk about leaving the world legacy, better than you, leaving, leaving the a world true better legacy. than you found it. So the heroic headline this week is just simply the woman we had in the studio, and I. Uh, Kaylee, I hope you continue this fight. Don't let anything or anyone deter you. You are a hero to many people, and uh, you inspired me a lot this week. So I thank you. Thank everybody for tuning in. Uh, we will be back next week. God bless, and be safe. Match Thanks for listening to Batch Boys. <laughs> Stories, insights, guests, and true blue humor with retired police sergeant Darren Birch and retired police officer Jason Schechterly. Batch Boys, heard weekly and worldwide on Star Worldwide Networks and all mobile devices. Batch Boys.